You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast sponsored by Manscaped.com. As ever, I am your host, Harry Simeon, and I'm delighted to be joined by a very, very special guest. Um, she's joining us from the other side of the pond, but she's a North London girl at heart. Uh, big welcome to the show, Sophie. It's been ages. How are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. And lots of you probably recognise Sophie from the Highbury squad, uh, one of the best Arsenal podcasts out there. So please do head over there, check it out. um, And I'll get Sophie to remind you guys before we wrap up today on how you can find the podcast, where you can find it and uh, some of the upcoming shows uh, that they've got in the pipeline. Big hello to everybody in the live chat. I can see there's lots of you joining us already. A um, couple of you complaining that we're a minute or so late. Well, you got two Cypriots on. So if you thought this show was going to be on time, then um, sorry, but reality check. <laughs> it's a good job it's not Friday Sovla with some Zivana, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Right, um, it's been an international break. Lots, um, Lots of news Negative news, I would say, with regards to players testing positive for COVID-19. Left, right and centre, two of our very own in Mohamed Elneny and Sayed Kalasinac have both tested positive um, for the virus, which is a blow. And and regardless of what you guys think uh, about some of those players, in particular Sayed Kalasinac, to lose a player from our squad is obviously a blow. And he's somebody that Mikel Arteta, again, whether you like it or not, has turned to um, on certain occasions. I mean, Sophie, I want to start off by getting your thoughts on the international break because Mm -hmm. it just feels like, given everything that was going on, that it just felt a little bit unnecessary. Are you kind of singing from the same hymn sheet with regards to this? I completely agree with you on that one. And, you know, when... We're stopping certain parts of life and we're trying to be safe and ensure that we're reducing contact travel as much as possible in order to kind of stop the spread of this virus and get back to a normal life again. To me, it seems like the international break is all about money, right? The federations have to make money. Uh, whether or not there are fans in stadium, there are TV rights to adhere to, there are sponsors that need to get ROI, return on their investment. So the international breaks for me have come at an inopportune time for a few reasons. You have coaches like Klopp and Pep Guardiola who are complaining about injuries, about the the, the, the kind of um, pressure we're putting on players to perform. Since Project Restart, they haven't really had much of a break. They had to finish um, their football season some you know, Liga called it early. Arriva DC also, you know, um, did what they had to do. Bundesliga kind of was the pioneer, I think, in how we've moved forward with dealing with a lot of this stuff. But the international break, I thought that if you're going to cancel the Euros, then don't play international football right now. If you're going to tell fans they can't go into stadiums and they can't travel to watch football, don't make players travel for football. Just seeing what Aubameyang had to go through, sitting in an airport somewhere in Africa, for like, I don't know how long it was, Harry. Was it six, seven, eight hours? Six hours, apparently. It's nuts. Absolutely I mean, that's nuts. not that's not a healthy situation either, is it? So for me, I think 
um, they're trying to ensure that they're, they're being fiscally responsible to their partners. And at the same time, they're also trying to ensure that some of these international competitions move forward. So, and also it came at a time where the Premier League and other leagues were just kicking in again. So the breaks have come uh, very soon. And I think really, if you look back on it, now we're seeing all of these cases, not a good decision. Yeah, completely agreed. And I kind of get why they had to, why they needed to play the qualifiers for the Euros, for example. I get that, you know, Mm -hmm. those games, again, I still think that they could have maybe left it to another time or whatever, but I get why they played those. What I don't get is the friendlies in particular. That was the real massive frustration. Um, We've seen that the Nations League some does have a knock-on effect on qualification as well. So again, I I don't think that should have been played, as I said, but again, I kind of see it. But the big issue for me was the friendlies. Why on earth are we watching pointless friendlies, um, particularly at a time like this? Um, Let's move on to discuss a story that has come out uh, this afternoon, actually, a little while before we've come live. I don't know if you've seen this, Sophie. Um, I barely just caught it before Mm -hmm. we came on, but I'm sure it's something you'd be able to to share your view on as well. Um, There's been a report from The Athletic, David Ornstein in particular, that uh, David Lewis and Danny Ceballos came to blows on the training ground. Uh, David Lewis was unhappy with a challenge made by Danny Ceballos in training and apparently he hit the guy on the nose he hit Danny Ceballos on the nose the report says that he scratched him and he drew blood um it's probably handbags uh you know we're talking about professional footballers here but you know is this a good thing in your opinion because people talk about fight within the squad they will often refer to the invincibles having that bite within the the group do you think this is a good thing I mean does it show a fighting spirit or or is it just a kind of sign of a bit of discontent It's a really interesting scenario because I've talked to Kevin Campbell about this a lot. We we had a show the other day with Mickey Gray where we talk we where we've started this series where we go inside the dressing room and we really talk about you know we Harry we work with people that we don't necessarily like okay but you can respect them and you can also follow them Uh, and then there are relationships that you know you just don't like somebody and you don't get along with somebody. We even talked to Lee Dixon and Ryan Giggs about this as well because. Back in the day, there were fights all the time. Kev will say players went at each other all the time. But they do it in the sense of competitiveness. Ceballos is petulant. And I spoke to Graham Hunter about this. And if you don't follow Graham Hunter, you should. He's a guru on Spanish football. He knows everything and has written some great books about Barcelona. And his uh, book was actually turned into a documentary on Netflix. Um, I can't remember the name of it now. It's Pass. Pass. Something anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll let you know. Keep the ball, Pass the ball, yeah. keep the ball. Yeah, thanks, Harry. And uh, I, because the last time the Eddie and Sabios thing happened, I reached out to Graham and I said, What is it about this guy? Is there something in his? And he said, He's a hothead because he's a beautiful footballer, he's got a lot of talent on the pitch, but there's a wire loose up here. He's got that crazy about him. Yeah. And I think now with the second incident, and if this is true, and we don't know, do we know, is there a video yet? Do we know if it's true, Harry? There isn't a video, and The Athletic have reported it just maybe a couple of hours ago. And actually, Danny Ceballos has gone to Twitter and labelled it as fake straight away. He's just put, uh, he's quote tweeted it, uh, he's quote tweeted the story, and he's put fake. So, uh, you know, before we come on to this podcast, I was like, yeah, maybe this is... uh, 
this has actually happened. This is a bit of a certainty. But, but why is Ornstein? Yeah. Okay, so Ornstein, as we all know, once he says something, the Arsenal nation kind of says, okay, it must be true, right? And I think David's connections during the Wenger era were a lot tighter within the club. But I also yeah. think that he's not going to put a story out on The Athletic if there isn't some type of source. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, uh, but, you know, going back to Graham, he he really did say that sometimes Ceballos has that, that uh, fuse, that short fuse. And when you see what happened with Eddie, and Eddie's a young player, you know, you don't behave that way. But at the same time, these things happen. And I think there's something brewing at Arsenal. For me, this is an indication of, is he frustrated? Is he not happy? Um, we haven't been playing particularly well. Uh, he's not exactly, he's, he hasn't started every single game. And I think that there's some frustration brewing. Uh, and I I think the, so a lot of people say the international break came at a good time for Arsenal. I felt like Arteta needed the time to be with his players right now yeah. after that disastrous result against Villa. So for me, Danny needs to really rein it in. David Luiz is a very experienced player. He's played at the highest level. He's won everything. And no matter what you think about David and his mistakes, he's a good professional. And I think you, you haven't really heard of any super negative fighting stories about David Luiz in his career, have you, Harry? So, no, you're right. you know, um, this is going to be an interesting one to see how it unfolds and a very challenging time for our manager. He's really got to rein this in because these stories coming out into public, this is the thing I think that people try to protect when they happen in training. And right now there's a lot of things going on that I think Arsenal fans have every right to question. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There are a few points um, that I've kind of raised in the last few weeks with regards to Mikel Arteta. And that's not to say that I don't support him, that I don't think he can be the right man for the job. I mean, we're we're Arsenal fans. We talk about Arsenal. It's part of our jobs. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to discuss these things naturally. I think with this story, it's, it's really interesting that it's come out and then Sabios has denied it straight away. Like you said, um, David Ornstein and The Athletic, to be fair, because The Athletic are a publication who I think personally are the best out there at the moment with regards to, to their coverage of the Premier League. And, you know, we all know that when they, they landed on the on the shores in the UK, they went and snapped up all of the best uh, football writers covering all of the biggest clubs. Um, and they put together this kind of dream team. So to, to think mm -hmm. that the story's just made out of thin air would be, I think, disrespectful to them. But then Sabios coming out and denying it, it does make you think twice, doesn't it? And that's, but is he um, being defensive? You know, is he yeah, kind of... Well. Because hotheads do get into defensive mode, right? Yeah. The psyche of a, of a hothead kind of player, he's going to want to come out and diffuse it as much as possible. But the thing I think is, this is where also the PR team needs to be connected to the player. So, for example, Sabios has come out and said what he, what he said. There's an incident that has now been made public but the club haven't been able to contain it. And I think that's the thing that concerns me the most is you can't have players being renegades on Twitter either. If something has happened, come out, admit it, and say these things happen in training. So yeah. for him to come out and deny it um, when potentially it's actually happened, maybe what he's denying is the manner in which it's been reported. And Absolutely. I can see that perspective that maybe it's been blown out of proportion Um and like I said, Kevin said that a lot of the a lot of the times these things are blown out of proportion. Yeah. But now this is the second incident where he's shown, and it's not the second; it's the second incident in Arsenal. But he's shown this type of volatile behaviour previously, as uh, as I said, Graham Hunter mentioned as well. 
Yeah, and, and the thing is with footballers, you know, we, we talk about some of the great sort of footballers of the past. They, they had that about them and, and you have mm-hmm. to find a way as a manager of of ch- channeling that in the right way in order to get the best out of that player. A player who's full of petulance, for example, in my <laughs> opinion, is Matteo Genduzzi. And oh, yeah. He didn't channel that for me in the right way. And now look at him. He's ended up. But he's been punished for it, too. So the club yeah. has to be consistent, Harry, or the manager has to be consistent. So if Guendouzi and Ozil have been petulant and Danny behaves like this, what are you going to do about that? This is where I worry that Arteta may be playing favourites. And we'll get on to that when we talk about the game and stuff. But I think he needs to be really careful. He, he got a lot of... Um, love coupons from the Arsenal nation when he won the FA Cup. First final, defeats Chelsea, defeats City again, beats Frank Lampard in his first final too, gets that monkey off his back to win his first trophy. But Arsenal were always going to be judged by the Premier League and he cannot be seen to be losing control of the team and players. And I think Arsenal fans are seeing this a little bit and, and concerned with the story that's kind of broken this morning or this afternoon in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're spot on. Um, let's talk a little bit about sort of what's gone on in, in recent weeks. I, I've already mm-hmm. mentioned that I've kind of questioned some of Mikel's decisions, some of the kind of approaches in certain games. Um, I feel like, you know, I get the whole coming in and, and shoring up the defence thing. And, and to be fair to him, he has done that for the most part. But there were certain games uh, in the last few weeks where I felt we needed to be a bit braver. We needed to, you know, be a little bit more adventurous in our approach and we didn't necessarily do that how have you kind of assessed the the last few weeks and and are you actually worried or do you think this is just one of those bumps in the road and and the reality is we were always going to have some I love this question and it's a great question because we have been fighting as fans for years since the end of the Wenger era going into the Unaya era and now coming out of the FA Cup win and going into the, the the Premier League era where Arteta gets to start it from the start, right, Harry? So for me, I, I've been arguing with Casey and Amanda on the pod about this, not because I'm against Arteta. I fully support him. I think that he has an immense amount of talent. Yeah. I also know that he's a really good human being. He's um, His kids went to school with um, my, my cousin's kids when they were living in London and he was playing at Arsenal. Phenomenal family, classy guy, superhuman being, does all the great things for kids, involved like my little cousins in family days at Arsenal and all that kind of stuff. But at some point, it's okay to criticize the manager. It doesn't mean that you want him fired, but you are allowed to kind of look at things and say, okay, hold on a second. We can't be just a cup team. We've won the FA Cup four times in six years, and it's been glorious and wonderful. One of the things I've argued about this year, which the others disagree with me, is this year I would actually sacrifice winning the FA Cup to finish in the top four. Not because I think we can win the Champions League, but because of what the Champions League financially yields for the club. And when we're struggling and when we can't sign Usam Awa because of financial reasons, you know, and then you get someone like Zidane calling him and telling him to hold out until next season because Madrid will sign him. You know, those, those are, those are red flags, things you should be concerned about. So as much as we had the best defensive record before Aston Villa, and I really respect what he's done at the back, it's come at a huge sacrifice because creatively and up front, we have regressed instead of progressed. 
Um, I like to look at Liverpool as the model to follow. Klopp came in, Liverpool were on their knees. You know, they hadn't been really super... Com- they had been competitive, but they'd fallen at the last hurdle. Uh, I think, um, you know, they built from the front backwards. And Unaya was very much front to back. He didn't really care about the back. He cared more about flair. He cared more about attacking football. And Liverpool, a little bit the same. They got Salah, they got Firmino, they got... Um, uh, Mane. But then Allison and Van Dyke added that security at the back, but they were still effective up front. And I think the sacrifice we've made up front, Harry, is so glaring and, and really quite, if you look at Unaya and, um, and, uh, and Arteta's records, I just want to throw this one out. You Emery in Emery's era, at the same point when we uh, played Leicester, Emery's team, Arsenal team, had scored 74 goals, Arteta 58. The undeniable, big difference. Big difference. The undeniable stat is Emery's 47 um, goals conceded versus Arteta's 35. But the win ratio is Emery 61% and Arteta 55%. In After 38 games in all competitions, Emery won 23 of 38, Arteta 21 of 38. So why, why do I bring this up? Not because I'm an Emery girl or I think Emery was the right guy, but I think we have to be fair in our criticism. And winning the FA Cup bought Arteta a lot of time and love. But in the Premier League... Just like Emery, who failed to qualify for the Champions League, lost the Europa League final, Arteta took over in December. We still had a chance to qualify for Champions League football when he took over, and he failed at that. And his position in the Premier League, a lot worse than Emery too. So for me, as much as we've made progress, I think it's a little bit uh, rose-coloured glasses. Has the the FA Cup win not only bought Mikel Arteta time, but has it also raised the expectation though as well? Has it made Arsenal fans look at that side and think, actually, we are better than we actually are? Because in two one-off games, we came out on top against City and we came out on top against Chelsea. Has that worked against Mikel Arteta as well in some way? Yes, I I concur. Because I thought it actually worked against the Wenger era too. I think the 2014 FA Cup was the one we had to win. Getting the monkey off our back, winning a trophy after years of not winning anything. The 2015 FA Cup is the one where Wenger should have put it under his arm, you know, jumped on a horse and ridden off into the sunset and said, I love you, thank you, goodbye. But what happened was after 2015, everyone believed this is it. This is the turn. Two FA Cups in a row, we can turn this around, we can progress in the Premier League and we can be competitive again. But being a one-off team in cup games is really different to being a consistent team over, what, 36, 38 games my mind's gone blank. Is it 38 or 36? 38, 38, yeah. Thanks, mate. 38 in the Premier League. And that's where we've lacked for years. And, you know, when I argue about wanting to finish top four this season versus winning the FA Cup, I want Arsenal to be competitive again in the league because that's how we progress as a team. That's how we get closer to being champions of England again. And so the analogy of this FA Cup and I think the 2015 Wenger FA Cup is very close because the other thing I'm really concerned about is since Aubameyang signed his contract, he's been so poor. He's been non-existent. And I know we haven't set up the team, Harry, to play in order to give him the tools and the resources he needs to be effective. 
But these are really important things to look at. So winning sometimes put band-aids on things and masks the pain. Um, And I think a little bit this season, yes, um, we felt that too with the FA Cup because we've lost four games already in the league and we lost them to who? City, Liverpool, Leicester, and then to a team that was one point from relegation last season. So if you can see improvements in Villa, if you can see improvements in other teams and not ours in the league, I think that's a concern. Yeah, I've got, I'm a bit kind of on the fence with this because I've got some sympathy for Mikel Arteta because in his opening, you know, if he loses to Manchester United at Old Trafford, but beats Aston Villa, then the, the, the kind of the rhetoric is very different, I think, because you look at the trip to Old Trafford as a game that we probably should lose by rights. And then you look at the game at home to Aston Villa, a game that you expect us to win. And you, if you swap those round, the points total is the same. But obviously it paints a very different picture. So I have got sympathy for him in that sense. Dan DeLuca in the live comments as well makes a, an interesting point where he says, if the second manager has a weak record, is there not an argument that it's partly because he's having to clean up the mess the first manager left behind? when sort of comparing the two. So I think that's maybe something. Isn't to that also, as well. I think he also made a comment saying comparing consecutive managers can be quite lazy. No, it's quite real because you're comparing apples to apples, same games, same amount of competitiveness in the Premier League. I also think it's lazy to say that he's had to clean up. If there was a manager that had to clean up a mess, it was Unai Emery. Okay. He came in as a weird choice for some Arsenal fans. He was also taking over from an, an absolute legend, a lot like David Moyes taking over at uh, Manchester United when Sir Alex Ferguson retired. That is not easy. Even I've gone into jobs where I've taken over from someone who's successful, and it's like not easy to turn around a team, to make people believe in you, to make them follow you, your strategy, your ideas, your vision. And so Unaya was the one that really inherited the Wengerite mess, okay? And he also inherited players that all of us questioned. Nobody was, when Unaya went on his 22 unbeaten run, even though we know some of those results were dubious and we had a few draws in there, everyone was talking about having our Arsenal back, okay? And then, of course, it went a little bit wrong. The Europa League final, had he won that, would have been a lot different, but he didn't. And I like to play the what-if game. But the truth is, is that after that final, everything went pear-shaped. Mikel Arteta has also inherited Wenger's mess and and Unai's um, kind of mess from the last few seasons, this time last season, right, where everything, the wheels started coming off. We were playing relegation-type football. We lost the team. He really didn't have a directive, couldn't really communicate with players. But I also know through good sources that he was really struggling dealing with Ozil at that time. He was having a really difficult time trying to, and that bred a lot of difficulty for him. So I'm not making excuses for him, but it's okay to compare consecutive managers in this instance. You can't compare Wenger as much, but you can compare Unai and Arteta. The, the, The great thing about Arteta is that he won his final. He got that monkey off his back. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think the, the, the nature of the Europa League final defeat um, cut deep with a lot of Arsenal fans and they were unable to kind of forgive for that. I, I was one of those um, one of those people who after that final, I was I was really disappointed, really disillusioned with what was going on. Um, 
I guess playing devil's advocate a little bit because this is a really good discussion. So I want to play devil's advocate just a little bit. Pick up on one of the things you said, which was that taking over from someone, you have to persuade people that you're the right person. You have to get them on board. You have to get them on side. I am more on side with Mikel Arteta than I was with Unai Emery. And I think... Why? Why, why? Harry? Because partly because down to... play for us? No, not even that. Because, you know, if you asked me in 20 years time to name you some of Arsenal's <laughs> best midfield players Mikel Arteta wouldn't even make the list genuinely right. like he was okay um he did all right for us but he, you know he's not an Arsenal legend by any stretch of the imagination for me communication is a massive deal and I know that and I'm not sort of beating Emery with the stick because his English wasn't as good as Mikel's because I f- look at Marcelo Bielsa look how the Leeds fans have sort of latched onto him and, and turned mm-hmm. him into a, a god because of his sort of his theories and all of that and his his philosophies because Marcelo Bielsa understood I guess that communication was so key he's got a translator next to him now I'm sure that Marcelo Bielsa can get by with his English I'm absolutely certain of it look how how long Maurizio Pochettino took before he Mm -hmm. brought uh, before he started talking English in interviews the point I'm trying to get to is that when you when the communication is right you can buy into somebody. With Unai Emery, I never bought into him. I didn't understand some of the decisions he made. And even if I didn't agree with them, if I heard the rationale behind some of them, maybe I would have been a little less harsh on him. With Mikel, I look at someone who does get people on side. He also alienates people as well, as we've seen with Ozil, as we've seen with Genduzi, um, as we've seen with some other players as well. But for me, with with Mikel Arteta, one of the big telling signs is that the fact that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang signed a new contract. Because I genuinely think that if if it wasn't Mikel Arteta, I don't think that happens. And do you not think he deserves some credit for that, maybe? A hundred percent. I completely concur. I think Mikel Arteta is the kind of manager that you know can sell ice to an Eskimo. He has that gift of the gab. He makes you believe he draws you in. And, you know... I also know that Aubameyang knows that he couldn't have got that money anywhere else, but he could have gone to other teams that were maybe ready to win more than we are right now when it comes to to the league. But I think the other thing too that we have to be really weary of is we have a lot of talented young players, Harry. And if we're going to be honest, Unaya gave them a chance. He introduced Gwenduzi into, and I don't care what anyone says, he's a punk, Ceballos is a punk. They are immature. They need management. They need a coach, a life coach, to teach them of the privileged position that they're in, to not waste the best years of their lives. And we have seen young players all the time think that they've arrived and that they're in the moment. But it takes a lot more than that. But he gave Willock a chance, Reese Nelson. He introduced Eddie, Saka. I mean, you know, I know Maitland-Niles is a little bit older, but he put faith in him too. So as much as it was crap with Unai and we were in relegation form towards the end of his Arsenal tenure, he also gave some of our brightest talent the chance to show and he was willing to take risks. So when you have and you've inherited poor players like Mustafi, Kalasinac, I don't put Xhaka in that bracket. I have a different opinion about Xhaka, which I know a lot of Arsenal fans don't agree with. Um, And for me, Arteta leans more towards experience. He's more willing to give Willian a chance game after game as opposed to just throw in Pepe as a risk. 
right? So for me, a lot of the times he plays not to lose versus trying to win. And I think that's the difference. But when it comes to Aubameyang, signing him was probably the most important signing we've had in the last few years because if he had left, oh, the wheels that would have fallen off. Continues, doesn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. Get a good player, he gets to a certain level, yeah. and he goes. And it, yep. would have a Robin Van Persie, another. You know, you lose Sesk, you lose Nasri, you lose Adibayor, you lose yeah. Robin Van Persie, and keeping him was a turning point for Arsenal's DNA and culture for sure. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Um, let's look at sort of moving forward a little bit. Of course, we take on Leeds United um, at the weekend. Uh, we're going to be bringing you guys a full uh, preview with all the usual stats and stuff that we do on Saturday morning. So stay tuned for that. We'll be looking a little bit uh, at Leeds United as well um, and what they're going to bring to the table. But just in terms of addressing the issues that we've spoken about with regards to our attack, our creativity, I've written a piece for the Guna fanzine, which will go out at the start nice. of, of next month. But I don't want to give away too much about what's in it because then nobody <laughs> will want to read it. But the point is, um, when I look at the creative issues, I think that there's not just one issue. And that's why it's a little bit more difficult to fix than some people would say. Mm-hmm. It's not just a misfire in centre forward. It's not just wingers struggling to create their own opportunities. It's not just the lack of a number 10 or a, a midfielder willing to make the runs uh, sort of beyond and, and get up in support. It's a culmination of all of those things. So if you were Mikel Arteta, Sophie, going into this weekend's game, first of all, is this the game to try things? And if so, what would you do? Well... Trying things against one of your mentors' mentors is an interesting uh, pickle for Arteta. Here's what concerns me. If he doesn't try something different, Harry, and if he doesn't try to adapt, I start to worry that he's got a bit of an, not an ego, but the one game I compare it to is, was it the semi-final, Manchester City in the Champions League? Pep Guardiola put square pegs in round holes. He had that game to win. I actually thought City were going to win the Champions League last season. But Pep made so many drastic decisions in that game where he, his own genius and his own brain kind of overpowered the basics of football and trying to just win the match and get City to their first ever Champions League final. And for me, Arteta's been putting square pegs in round holes a little bit. If he doesn't play Aubameyang down the middle against Leeds, I think the Arsenal nation is going to implode. I really do. And I've been of the argument, and I want you to, t- I've, I've really been wanting to hear your point of view on this because Aubameyang almost won the golden boot last season playing on the left. And I've asked everybody, and I don't think I've got a clear answer. What was the difference? Why was he able to achieve that level of um, prowess, that level of. Um, scoring goals when he was playing on the left versus what's happening right now. I I know that trying to be more solid at the back has sacrificed some of that. But now we have Thomas Partey in midfield. Ceballos came back. You have um, Tierney on the left. I mean, the -the over-the-top ball Tierney played a lot in Project Restart, especially against Liverpool, was a beautiful thing. That's been completely lost in the Premier League, and that worked really well. So I don't understand how he went from almost winning the golden boot on the left to now he's, this is happening. Can you, what, can you identify that a little bit? 
it's something that that's been raised a lot lately and i've been looking at some of the stats and i know stats don't always tell the full story Mm -hmm. um but they do help form an argument i think and when sort of looking back, actually, when you look throughout Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's career, he has probably scored just as many goals playing from a wing position, if you want to call it that, um, as he has playing through the middle. I think 100. when you play, particularly now where we're seeing a lot of teams ad- adapt, uh, adopt sorry, this back three system, I think when you mm-hmm. play as a centre forward, it can be a very lonely role. You're often going to have a couple of players uh, sort of on your back every time you get the ball and the role has changed I think um, you're seeing Lacazette have to come that little bit deeper all the time and the, the issue is here that Arsenal as a unit are not creating enough opportunities I always argued towards the back end of last season that actually Aubameyang playing from the left was a good thing because by starting from such a wide position and then making a run in towards the penalty area, what you're doing is you're creating uncertainty because who picks you up? Does the right back come with you? Does the centre-back take you? Does does he pass you on? And Mm -hmm. often when you see players losing defenders, it's in the midst of somebody trying to pass their man onto somebody else. So I feel like that position was working. It's not working now, though. And it's not working because Arsenal as a team just aren't doing enough to create chances. The argument that that people were making about him going back to the middle, I think, is a valid one for one reason and one reason only. If you look at some of the opportunities that Lacazette has spurned in recent weeks, and I'm thinking about, you know, the one at Anfield when we were 2-1 down. I'm thinking about the one against Leicester City. There was a really good one. And there's a couple of others that spring to mind. I just think that Aubameyang is more clinical and Aubameyang gets one but of those chances that ball ends up in the back of the net he needs two or three chances too though doesn't he Harry to score Aubameyang I mean he, sometimes he'll miss easy chances and then he'll score this insane goal yeah, agreed agreed I think but I just think when you look at if you compare sort of if you look at Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's goal scoring record since he joined Arsenal Football Club and I'm just bringing it up on my screen because um I did look at it the other day but I've gone completely blank Stats uh, for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang since he signed for Arsenal. 119 games, 74 goals. 74, I was going to say, yeah. That's, you know, that that's an unreal record. Mm-hmm. And and that just shows me that he's just a lot more clinical than somebody like Lacazette. And at a time where we're not creating enough opportunities, it becomes even more imperative that we take the ones that we do create. And I just, I don't see that with Lacazette and people are getting frustrated with him. Equally though, you know, there's there's no guarantee that moving a Bamiyang into the middle makes us score more goals straight away. Because as I keep saying, the whole team as a unit is it's not working. You know, when when you go back to those FA Cup games with City and Chelsea, we had a very specific plan. Mm-hmm. It was a very specific plan to lure them out, to play certain balls, expose certain channels down that left flank, etc. etc. And get a Bamiyang into situations where you could isolate defenders. That's not happening now. And is it not happening because we're lacking confidence? Is it not happening because people have sussed us out? I I, I don't know the answer to that. But just to kind of finish off on that point, Mm -hmm. when I look at Lacazette's record, it's 136 games and 51 goals. I mean, Harry, but at the same time, he's asked to do different things, Lacazette, right? Here's the thing with Lacazette. And and Kevin Campbell chose him. We did an episode, our current top five favorite players and he chose Lacazette and he did for a reason and and we've talked about this all the time and I brought this up on the show is that for me Lacazette's our Bobby Firmino 
it's a and he's become a I think a little bit of a scapegoat in all of this which isn't fair because you're actually now setting players up to fail right Lacazette last season was great for us I don't think he's been a bad signing for Arsenal but he's also asked to do things um, off the ball that are not not a lot of players and fan not a lot of fans see Firmino Liverpool would never have had the success they did without what Firmino did off the ball. And sometimes it's just as important what players do off the ball as they do on the ball. And it's a really, um, it's an underappreciated, underrated position to be in. And I think because Lacazette's been playing down the middle, people expect goals, goals, goals. They they don't see what he does off the ball. He's asked to backtrack a lot. He He really is a grafter. He holds up the ball really well. And when you only create three chances from open play and your striker misses one or two, who who's the burden on then? You know, it's so easy to point the finger at Lacazette, but when you're not creating the chances, and let's let's take an example of the Sheffield United game, Harry, where Saka and and uh, Willian were playing. They were interchangeable in that number ten role. Probably one of our best, most creative a fluid, um, forward-moving games of the season. And I don't understand why Arteta didn't follow through on that. When you see that kind of progression, why then prevent it or stop it? So I think he's accountable here. I, I always am very critical of players, and I think that he's made lemonade out of a lot of lemons, and I think even Unaya did that. But I think in this instance, he's playing it so safe that he's setting players up to fail, and now... You've got Aubameyang looking like he's lost confidence, Lacazette. You've got Pepe complaining. You know, you've got people fighting. I mean, this is a, a very critical next three games for Arteta against Leeds, Wolves and Spurs. I think this is going to be the defining moment of his Arsenal career. And that is not melodramatic. If we lose these three games, if we don't win any of these games, I think, you know, you really then have to put the spotlight on him. And he's the decision maker at the end of the day. He he sets the team up. And right now he's not set the team up. And I think you can start seeing it in their body language, Harry. It's The, the, the only thing I'd say back, and I, I totally get where you're coming from, and I get the Firmino point. And again, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here. But for me, you look at Firmino and you say he doesn't score enough goals and he does all the other work. But then you see Salah and Mane scoring the goals. Mm-hmm. So there's always that argument that actually what Firmino does, does create space for Salah, does create space for Mane. And even though he's not necessarily on the score sheet as much as some people would like, actually he creates that environment in which the other two can thrive. Mm-hmm. The difference here is that Lacazette doesn't create that environment for me. He for did last season. I don't know if he did it enough, though. I, I feel like with Lacazette, we get periods of, of of positivity with him. And then we go through periods where he's, he's awful. And as a couple of people mentioned in the chat, he loves to, this thing where he tracks back and he gives away free kicks drives me absolutely He mad. does give the ball away to... He does... I completely agree with that. He does give the... But that's through frustration. That's through the role he's being asked to play. And he cannot you know, cannot, cannot get the ball. Therefore, he gives the ball away. I completely agree with you there. He does that too much. That's got yeah. to stop. Yeah. That's, that's one of the big frustrations. But also, don't you feel like Laka and Oba were so much happier playing with Pepe? Like, Pepe is one of those divisive players. I've been really hard on Pepe. He's very polarizing. But especially in the FA Cup, 
they had this rapport. But even in the league, if you look at Pepe's stats, he was a lot better than maybe aesthetically, you know, that, that you would see in, in games. But the three of them had this very, they, they had that Mane, Salah, um, Firmino thing going. And I think that the Willian, really pushing Willian into the side has upset that a little bit. And I, I think Laka and Ober are feeling that. I don't think this is just about them missing chances or not being able to play the way we want, Harry. I think that they're, they're, they're feeling kind of the pressure of the moment and what Arteta's doing with the team. And I think reintroducing Pepe this weekend is a must. And if he doesn't, I think he'll start getting the wrath of Arsenal fans for sure. Yeah, I, I would like to see Pepe in the side. I've, I've been saying it for weeks. I feel like, and I'm going to make this comparison and, and bear with me while I get to the end okay, of this comparison. <laughs> people are going to start jumping in the chat. I know. I compare Pepe in many ways to Jovino. Do you remember Jovino? Oh, do He's I remember Jovino? <laughs> He's a player who, for all the frustrating moments you get, i.e. him giving the ball away, trying a trick that doesn't work, for all of those things, you do get impact. And, mm. and, if, and I've just brought Jovino's Arsenal record up on the screen to help me with this point. Oh boy. 63 Arsenal appearances, 23 direct goal contributions. So that's goals and assists. So that's one in three pretty much. So for all the criticism that Jovino got, for someone who was playing on a flank for Arsenal, that's a pretty good record. And the same can be said of Nicolas Pepe. He does score goals. He does create things, but you also get those frustrating moments. And people need to, I think, look beyond some of those frustrating mm -hmm. moments. And at the end of a game, look back on the game and say, actually, though, did he have an impact today? Was he partly the reason we won today? Because he got an assist or because he got a goal or because he, he created an opportunity. And I think that that goes unnoticed with, with Nicolas Pepe in the same way that it used to go unnoticed with Jovino as well. I'm not saying that Jovino was Arsenal's <laughs> greatest winger, don't get me wrong. But the point is that he was made into a villain or, or made into a bit of a joke, a bit of a laughing stock for other reasons, not because of actu what his actual outputs were. I think, um, I think it's really valid because a lot of the times you see people's mistakes versus the good things that they do. And it's very easy to criticise people's mistakes. And Harry, look at what Jovino did in his Italian career. Yeah, not bad, right? Exactly. Not not bad at all. And if you follow Italian football, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And this is why sometimes it's not always about the players. It's about how the players are set up. You know, was Kevin De Bruyne, is Kevin De Bruyne a rubbish player? Should he have lost the semi-final of the Champions League last season? No, his manager set that entire team to fail yeah, because of the choices that he made. And I think at Arsenal, we see that a lot. You know, I want Arteta to be bold. And call me crazy, Harry, but the kid from Malmo who's um, been labelled as the next Zlatan, and I got the opportunity to hang out with Zlatan when he played for LA Galaxy here. What a legend, right? This kid looks imposing. Um, and I always, uh, and then uh, everyone says Balogun or Balogun, and we'll figure out how to pronounce his name correctly, I think. A friend of mine wants to create an app where you pronounce footballer names footballer. properly. That's a good idea. A really uh, we idea. just gave it away, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, I know Eddie's been given a chance, but I think he needs to take a bit of a risk. It's okay to drop Lacazette. I'll say it's even okay to drop a Bamiyang for a game. Maybe not the next three games, right? 
But I think he needs to take a risk. He has the talent. So when you're talking about a Jovino type, I, I completely agree with you in that for me, Willock, why not give Willock a shot? He's sometimes he reminds me of Rambo. He takes the ball. He he's like box to box. This is I, where though, isn't it? This is where Mikel is becoming almost a slave to his system because he he can't he doesn't play Willock in my opinion because he doesn't see a, a defined role for Joe Willock, i.e., an attacking midfield role in the Premier League. He he, he can't adapt that system in his head and that's where we're, we're struggling for me I, I don't know if Willock should start every week but to not make the bench after some of the performances he's put in is nuts isn't it yeah absolutely he deserved to play against Villa let me ask you this is it true that Arteta really wants to play eventually a 4-3-3 do, do we do we agree on that or no or do we even know how do we know right we, the, the thing is we don't know do we we don't we, know do we, we? Don't. but why not let me ask uh, if Let's say there's a midfield of Party, Party, Xhaka and Willock, right? Because Party is such a versatile midfielder. He's not just the the great wall. He's not just the guy who's going to protect the back line. He is also able to take the ball, pass the ball, move forward with the ball. So Xhaka can be the, for now, for me, call me crazy, have a go at me, I don't care. But Xhaka is the best in terms of what we have. I'm not talking about he's the best for Arsenal long term or he's the answer, Harry. But for yeah. I would pick Xhaka to play alongside Party. Ceballos, to me, blows hot and cold. I think he's super talented. He's amazing on the ball. He can keep the ball, and especially when we need to have possession. But I also think he can come on, on in a game and affect the game. So why not have a Party Xhaka Willock kind of role and then you've got Pepe Saka on the left and Oba down the middle is that yeah. is that crazy no I, I think it's it's valid and I think that when we're looking at a system where he clearly likes to see one of his midfielders or, or somebody dropping into the defense to make it a five Xhaka can also do that mm-hmm. we've seen him do that time and time again so I don't think it's crazy I think going back to the point about what Arteta actually wants to do in the long term I don't think anybody really knows. Anybody that says they do is a liar because there's no previous to go by. You know, we're, we're basing this on on the fact that he worked for Pep Guardiola. Well, when we hired him, I thought he was going to be Pep Guardiola 2.0 and he might dress like him and he might wear the same <laughs> trainers as him and all of that rubbish. But in terms of his t- style of management, he's completely different. He's a he's a real pragmatist, Mikel Arteta. And I didn't more like George that. Graham. Yeah, exactly. He's more like George Graham um, than uh, than Pep for sure. Right, guys, if you haven't already, I can see there's loads of you watching us at the moment. Please do smash that like button and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Um, make sure you do that. It is so, so important. And um, we'll be running the competition in the next few days. We're going to put the tweet out on Monday now, um, which will give you guys information on how you can win an Arsenal home shirt. Uh, so Ooh. please get involved. Uh, like the video if you haven't already. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't as well. Get your questions in the live chat. We've got a couple in here already that I'm going to throw um, Sophie's way and we're going to discuss. Uh, We'll just pick out uh, three or four. So if you want to get yours in, uh, do it now or forever hold your peace. Uh, (laughs) I want to win the Arsenal shirt. I'm going to enter the competition. Why not? It's open (laughs) to everyone. Why not? Um, Let's see what one we're going to pick. I'm just scrolling back through the chat. Um, Don't you love doing that, Harry, when you have to scroll? 
I wish it would stop. Like sometimes I scroll back, I get to uh-huh. a certain point, and then it jumps <laughs> forward again, and I've lost where I am. That's the. Um, that's the I've so I have so it. much respect for Arsenal podcasters because a lot of people do this, and uh, it takes a lot of energy and and time. So you're doing a great job. <laughs> Thank you very much, uh, Sophie. While I find the question, do you yeah. want to let the guys know uh, how they can find the Highbury squad? Um, when you guys put out shows and a little bit about what you guys do and, and your great team. Yeah, uh, we do. Highbury Squad is with myself, uh, Amanda Schiavi and Super Kevin Campbell, who's our resident special guest. Uh, we do a lot of what Harry does too in terms of analysing games and stuff, but we have a couple of series where we talk about football, lifestyle football, pop culture. We just launched a new um, series uh, inside the dressing room where we have Kevin talking to... Uh, ex-players going kind of behind the ropes and really getting stuck into um, what it's like to be a footballer and you get those unique stories. We have our Evergreen series uh, where we talk to Arsenal key former fans from around the world about how they kind of fell in love with the club. So we do a lot of just kind of, we love talking about games and bitching, moaning, ranting, raving, loving or loathing the club after a match and stuff like that. But I, I love doing kind of the intimate player interviews as well so um you can check us out on hybrid squad on youtube and on twitter and, and uh, give us a shot and if you like us cool and if you don't still beautiful robin in the chat says big up the hybrid squad yes i can only echo what sophie said it's a great channel uh, so head over there check it out um right nadine asks uh and i'll put this to you sophie we'll just do this one a li- uh, kind of mm-hmm. quick fire yep. your front three versus leeds united Saka, Oba, Pepe. Yeah, agreed. I would go with the same. Um, I would go with the same. Let's see what else we've got here. Ashwin says, do you feel like Arteta is allergic to players Emery (laughs) has signed, as with Pepe and Saliba? I mean, on a serious note, do you feel like he is trying to make a point with some of those players, maybe? This is what worries me about him being a little arrogant. And I think when in the FA Cup, and I and again, I'm not an Arteta out person. I respect him. He deserves the chance to show what he can do at Arsenal. We're only a month away from him being a year in charge. But I do think there's a little bit of an arrogant Pep Guardiola type chip. I don't understand the Saliba situation. I've spoken to Matt Spiro about this. You can check him out. He's a great French football journalist. He doesn't understand. When you have Fafana, who stepped in at Leicester because of an injury, played four games, done great under Brendan Rodgers, and is, wasn't even the star player at St. Etienne at the back. Saliba was. And you see him performing that way. And then you see Saliba being kind of ostracized by Arteta. And then you have him come out and say, I'm sick and tired of talking about this. As good as he's been and as well as he's brought the team along, he's got these little faux pas as an inexperienced manager where he needs to handle things a little bit better. And for me, I would rather see Saliba be given a chance than see Mustafi come on on a, in, a game, in a game as a sub like yeah so I, I i do think that he has a little bit of a favoritism thing going on and that worries me yeah this is a great point uh marble Hall's t- tv says just want to ask sophie no worries mate i'll keep quiet um, <laughs> what, <laughs> what can we do to get rid of kse he is ultimately the issue at our club do you think sophie that he is the sole issue at our club. I mean, it did. they did put their hands in their pockets to make sure that we got Thomas Partey, despite not being able to sell the players we hope to sell this summer. I feel like they're actually going the other way. They're going the right way. Do you feel like this is becoming 
an, an excuse, you know, like in a relationship where you're not getting along and you keep using the same excuses all the time. I feel like that's the case here. Look, he's invested a tremendous amount of money. He's got teams from around the world. Here in the US, he's literally built a Star Trek-style stadium in LA. I mean, it is unbelievable. And I can't wait for Arsenal's tour to come back here because they'll play at that stadium. It's beautiful. But look, from... We got we. It started really with the Santi Cazola signing. Then you they bought on Meza Ozil. You know, then from we always had a marquee signing year after year. After that, if you look at the signings and the investment that he's made, I mean, we paid seventy two million for Nicolas Pepe. Guys, look at the money we played paid for Thomas Partey, Kieran Tierney, a bargain now at twenty five. You know, we reinvested in Abamyang. We signed Lacazette. I think that. At some point, when you give a manager or a team the, the tools and resources, how they then manage it is a completely different scenario and conversation. Agreed. So a bit lazy to keep pointing the finger at them, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think they have spent, well, they've allowed the club to spend money. I think in years gone by, maybe not so much. Maybe we were kind of left a little bit frustrated by the fact that we did go and sign players, but then we ended up selling but in the last few years when Arsenal's revenue is clearly down because of the fact that we're not in the Champions League, etc., we've still spent money. And for that, I don't think you can keep pointing the finger at them. I don't think they're the best owners in the world. My biggest gripe with them is is the lack of presence. You know, now we're, we're starting to see a little bit more involvement. We're hearing that conversations are happening more frequently. But nobody can deny that in years gone by, they were very distant. And I guess... You know, that shows, does it show a bit of a lack of caring maybe? I think they're very busy business people and they've allowed the executive team to take charge. Listen, I've worked for entrepreneurs and I, I've worked for like a, a Fortune 500 companies. Some have been, had bad owners, Harry, and some have had great owners. At the end of the day, I still have to do my job. Yeah, I, I still have to perform. And if I don't perform, I lose my job. So they'll give me the tools and resources. Sometimes do I like it? No. But I still have to find a way to navigate around it. And I think the excuses and the enabling at Arsenal has to really stop. You know, Arteta's got a good team. Do we have a worse team on paper than Aston Villa? I don't think so. No, I don't either. I yeah. believe it. You're right. Um, just that final question. Uh, this one comes from Top Techers. Uh, what would be a good season for Arteta? Sophie, mm. I'll let you go first on this one and then I'll... Um... I want to win the Europa League. I want to get back to a European final and win one. Look, the League Cup we haven't won since, is it 92 or 93? You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. The FA Cup we've won four, time in, four times in six years. I think we have a ways to go to win the Premier League. I think a way back to the Champions League. And again, I'm going to say and repeat what I said earlier in the show. I don't think we can win the Champions League. But I think that the finances that it brings is really important to our football club. To get to a European final and win it would be epic. Just please don't make it against Spurs because my heart won't be able to take it. I, I'm not. Sh I'm not even sure if I could watch the game if it was an Arsenal v Spurs Europa League final. I think it would kill me. <laughs> Especially with Mourinho at the helm, Jesus. Oh my so gosh, weird. I'm worried about him. I'm worried about them this season. Yeah, I'm starting to be, but I, I'm not going to give that. We won't talk about that until we get <laughs> until we get to that point. Um, for me, a good season would be a good crack at qualifying for the Champions League. And, and I'm realistic. If we were to finish fifth and we missed that by three, four points, or we were in within touching distance, that would be obviously massive progress on last season. But, you know, if we're not 
in the race again and, and we don't put together a Europa League run, etc., etc., then there will be questions asked. I think, you know, I think you can really judge Mikel Arteta at the end of next season rather than this one. Um, let's Oof. hope that he gets the back in. Let's hope that, you know, we get... Um, the players in that we need, we get to move on some of the players that we don't necessarily need. And that's thinking out the place at the moment. Um, so lots, lots to go on behind the scenes. And, Harry, and, can I just jump in with what you just yeah, said ahead. real quick before yeah. we go? I actually think Arteta is going to be super judged by Arsenal fans after these next three games. Yeah, I this, do too. This do is too. the most critical time in his Arsenal career as manager. We're playing Leeds, Wolves and Spurs, three teams that break very quickly on the counter. And we have shown that we haven't handled that really well this season. And we saw Leeds score three goals. They can concede a lot of goals too, but we're not scoring a lot of goals. Wolves, maybe they're not exactly the same as they were last season, but they're still a really good team. Spurs on the break have been lethal this season. He's already lost once to Mourinho. Forgive him. Lose a second time consecutively. That's going to be the one where Arsenal fans will lose their minds. So these next three games are so critical. They're massive. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think I think I agree with you. I completely agree where you say that the fans will judge him on that and a lot mm-hmm. of fans will. I don't necessarily think that's right, though, um, because... You know, obviously, I'll be as upset and frustrated as anybody else if we don't pick up results in those games. But, you know, we I don't know. I just I feel like we are so we're almost so kind of reactionary. And and I've I've said this on recent shows. It's not just us as football fans or as Arsenal fans specifically. It's the whole world at the moment. Everybody's reactionary. Mm -hmm. You know, look at the UK. You're either hard Brexit or you're completely against Brexit. There's nobody in the middle anymore. There's nobody who says, oh, you know, I can see the argument this way and I can see the argument that way. Those people, because of social media, because of the way the world is at the moment, those people don't exist for me. And so you're going to get, after those three games, if it does go wrong for Mikel, you're going to get those who still will back him um, and won't question him. And then you're going to get the other end of the spectrum, which is completely, you know, disillusioned and want him out. It's It's going to be interesting to see how it mm-hmm. unfolds and, and what's to come. Right. Uh, that brings us to the end. Best part of an hour. It's been a great chat, Sophie. Thank you so much. Just remind everybody how they can follow you on social media and a quick plug for the podcast once more. All right. Lovely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Soccer Diva and the podcast at Highbury Squad and check our YouTube channel, Highbury Squad. I'd love it if you guys um, took a listen and gave us a shot. And Harry, thank you very much for having me. Very proud of all the hard work you're doing. I remember a few years ago we were chatting when you were writing your book, uh, Chronicles of Aguna, and uh, seeing you do what you're doing and talking about the Arsenal and loving your commentary as well. And I'm really proud of you. Keep up the hard work and you deserve it, mate. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And you're one of the people that supported from the very beginning. So I really appreciate Always. it. Thank you so much. Right, a quick reminder before we lock off that this podcast is sponsored by Manscaped.com. So if you want to get your uh, body hair looking as neat, as tidy, as lush, but hopefully not as green as the Emirates Stadium pitch, then head over to Manscaped.com. Enter our discount code, which is in the description. It's Chronicles AFC, all in capitals. You'll receive free shipping and 20% off your order. Loads of my mates have bought it. Um, They're all cursing me because I... You need a trim, you need a trim, babe, right here. eh? Yeah, Yeah. I I don't think the manscaped is for here, but (laughs) (laughs) you can use it for that as well. (laughs) You just got it. Boom. Okay. (laughs) 
my god yeah it's not uh it's not i think i can explain why but anyway we'll leave that for another show <laughs> brilliant stuff thank you all so much for tuning in once again and we'll be back very very soon with more until then take care stay safe listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.